0: Catch up those of you who haven't been around for a couple weeks. If you've been in church any length of time, you know the story of the prodigal son the story of the prodigal son is one of three stories in the 15th chapter of Luke which is where we are and we've been walking through Luke and when we got to the 15th chapter we decided to do what ended up being four sermons in a series called lost the lost sheep the lost coin and the lost son Jesus tells these three stories back to back the lost sheep and the lost coin were the setup all right they were the they were the second part of the of the volleyball play all right they were Jesus was setting the people up right he was saying hey wouldn't you wouldn't you celebrate if you had lost a, a coin a day's wages and you searched all day for it and you found it or don't you celebrate when you lost one of your animals and, and, and you leave the 99 and that's risky but you leave the 99 in order to be um uh find the one and when you bring the one home there is there's shouting and there is dancing and there is joy and everybody's like woo yes joy that's what we want in church we kind of learned that we'd lost our party we don't get excited about the one anymore. We're too busy making sure that the the 69, the 79, the 89, and the 99 are happy right where they are, making sure they get their VBS and their men's ministry and their women's ministry and their songs that they want sung and their uh, uh, schedule the way they want it. We're, we're, we're doing that, and we've lost our ability to celebrate when the when the dumb wandering sheep gets off by himself and is about to go off the cliff, most of us are like, let them go. And Jesus says, no, don't let them go. I'm chasing that one down. I got my hook. I'm going. I'm, I'm going to save them. And, and people celebrated at the end of those stories. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, I can get, I can get, I can get that. I can get that. And the, the people on the side of the mountain, yeah, 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 we can get in with that. And even the stragglers who didn't understand, just hearing Jesus from the first time, yeah, we can, we can get down with that. We like all this. This is good. And then he gets to the story of the prodigal son. And everybody knows the prodigal son is the story of a kid who asked for the money his dad gave him early, went away, spent it all, ended up on drugs and, and poor and sleeping with people and just bad deal, Right? ends up in a pigsty, ends up wishing he was back home, goes back home, asks his daddy to be one of his hired slaves, all right? And his daddy says, you bet. And then there's the older brother because this story started to bother the people who were listening, especially the church people who were listening, all right? Because none of the way this story went down none of the way it went down was the way their culture would run, okay? And they were like, ah, ah, I don't like this because that boy did a very bad thing and he probably should have been probably should have been strung up, actually. He should have been uh, stoned or he should have been cast out and never to return. I mean, it, it was possible that what he did was bad enough for him to actually be killed, punished by death, right? If nothing else, punished by complete ostracization ostracization I like it I like it big word take that inner web ostracization all right so ostracized right and so then Jesus flips the script and he says there was a good son a rule-following son An upright son, a handsome son, a 4.0 son, a quarterback son. He did it all. Even when the son was gone, the farm kept moving. Everything was great. And this son is the only one who's not at the party. What do you mean the good one's not at the party? What do you mean the the rule follower's not at the party? What do you mean the religious is not at the party? What do you mean the good son's not at the party? Well, he wasn't at the party. When he gets to the party, he won't go into the party because the party's for his brother. So caught up on doing right, he couldn't be right. And church, last week we were challenged in that. Are we so caught up in the rules, in the regulations, in doing things right, in doing things good, that we can't be righteous because of our own self-righteousness? And right about then, everybody there is frustrated, especially the church people. But listen to me whether or not we hear the story of the prodigal son A or the prodigal son B, whether or not we hear the story of the prodigal who strayed and the prodigal who stayed, whether or not we hear the story of one son who came home and one son who never really did, this isn't a story of sons at all. The main character of this story is not one of the sons. The main character in the story is the story of the father. The character who is there the whole time. The character who plays roles the whole time. Now, I, we always laugh about how, how God tends to work as we're walking through the scripture. And it would have been really awesome if we ended up on a loving father win next week when it's Father's Day, but we're pretty darn close, right? All right. So the story of the loving father comes as a prequel to Father's Day. And this is a hugely popular, actually, Father's Day sermon for a lot of preachers. We just don't do things that way. I'm not going to weasel something in when I know this is God's plan just to make it land right on the day it's supposed to land. I'm just not going to do that. We're going to preach that today. The story of the loving father, though, is incredibly challenging because of how the father Acts. The father doesn't act. The fa- Listen. We love how the Father acts because we're believers and we want the Bible to be good and we want the Bible to be true and we want all the things to happen. So we like how the story goes. But culturally speaking, this was a painful story for all of the listeners, all right? So understand two things. We're going to walk through some cultural things today as we look at what the Father does. And the Father in this story is not only the main character, but Jesus has this goofy little side grin on his face the whole time because he is the father. The story's what they call autobiographical in a way. It is symbolically an autobiography about how God acts toward his children. There was a man who had two sons. Not three, not five. We are told to intentionally, okay? Well, where'd it go? Sorry. There was a man who had to. There we go. The younger one said to his father, give me my share. Now, when we went through this the first time, I told you this was an incredibly painful statement. First of all, the inheritance truly belongs, all right, to the eldest son. The father can divide it however he wants to, but the inheritance truly belongs to the eldest son in whatever way the father deems that to be, and the inheritance is never divided until after the father has passed. Now, Your status as a man, your status as a father, your status as a husband, your status in the community, your status socially was based on, sadly, but truly, based on the the wealth and the things and the the family and the farm and all of the material things that you had amassed, okay? So if your personal uh, capital was, we'll call it 100, all right, and that was the top the the community, then you were the top person in stature in the community. If you were at 70, you were in the top 70%. If you were at 10, you weren't uh, really of high stature in the community. And this man was of extraordinary stature in community. The minute he follows through on this request, his stature in town is cut in half. How he is viewed is cut in half. How he is listened to is cut in half how he and his family are treated is cut in half it's sad but it is it's cultural it was a real it was a real thing all right not only that but this request was the ultimate sign of disrespect because it said hey dad the things which you have amassed are way more important to me than you are the things that you have to offer me are way more important than you are to me. I would prefer that you were no longer alive so that I could have what you have amassed that I will get without having to work at it, without having to give anything up for it. Do you hear how badly everyone around wanted to slap punch, and yank this kid back into shape. It was horrifying. The father should have been enraged. The father should have lashed out. The father should have said something to defend himself. But not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. He divided his property between them and the son took off. He divided the property between them and the son took off. One of the most difficult parts of being a good father, a loving father, a wise and spiritual father is that we all as fathers, as parents, have to deal with the fact that our children at some point in time think that they know more than we do. And in that period of time, we do not think, we do not think that they think they know more than we do. We think that they know that they know more than we do because that's the way that they act. We love them through that. Why? Because we did it too. And do you know what we want? we want what we want no matter what that want is and we want it given to us now because if it's given to us now we will have the resources to do the things that we want now unbeknownst to us the things that we want now aren't the wisest things for us because we haven't been able to experience because literally our mind our cortex has not fully developed yet and we have no idea read that on your facebook page had no idea all right what we're supposed to be doing and we ought always figure out that if we have a massive amount of freedom and a massive amount of resources to go do that, which we want to do, we end up in a far country. We end up in a place where we wish we were not. And then we don't want to admit it because that means we were wrong and mommy and daddy were right. But the good father says, I can train you. I can teach you. But in your ignorance, sometimes I have to let you. Story of anybody's life? Here's the thing the town questioned him. His wife, you ever get in a really bad disagreement with your spouse? <laughs> like a really bad one, over your children who's now gone. Hundred ways she could have come at him. Maybe they talked, maybe they didn't. Maybe they haven't spoken the whole time. The town, they don't come over as much anymore. They don't talk about him as much anymore. When he speaks up in a town meeting, people don't listen as much anymore. And his son is squandering, literally squandering. His son is doing, listen to me, everything that any parent in this room who cares any is scared to death of when their child walks out the door, when their child gets their driver's license, when their child wants to do things. They're doing all the things. This son is doing all the things that mom and dad had never wanted him to do. And he knows it. And I want you to look at where he is. After he'd lost 30 or 40 pounds, after he'd filled his body with incredibly horrible things, after he'd literally sowed his seed to numerous, numerous, and that was very important women. After he had partied with people of his religion and not of his religion, after he'd make a mo- made a mockery of his family name, after he'd ended up in a job with the pigs, which are literally detested by the Jews, after he longed to fill his stomach with the pods, after all of these things, where is the father? Where is the father when his children do exactly what he told them not to do? Where is the father when his children squander all the gifts that they've been given? Church, this is not about a boy and a dad in a story. This is about you, Tim. This is about you, Monique. This is about you, Kate. This is about you, All of you, where is Jesus when we blatantly choose to look him in the eye and say, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for giving me breath. Thank you for giving me spouse. Thank you for giving me children and squander those things as if life is about us. We deserve nothing. But where is the father? Telling his friends what a pathetic excuse for a human we are. Cursing to someone about how bad his life is. Giving up on everything he has and running away so that he can never be found by you. No. Sitting on the front porch. Maybe the most beautiful scene in the history of scenes. He's sitting on the front porch and the Bible implies that that's where he's been while he was still a long way off, way out in the distance. The father, I don't know, you ever ever learned, you ever been able to recognize somebody by how they walk? You know, you can just tell, George, holy cow, yeah, yeah, you can just recognize somebody by how they walk, right? Well, The father, did he recognize his gait? Did he recognize his figure? I don't know, because he probably was a lot thinner, maybe a lot smaller, maybe even hunched over. He certainly was dirty. But listen to me. The father was waiting for him. The father was waiting for him. And when he came over the horizon, I'd never read this before, but listen to me. The Bible is clear that the father... A man still of stature in the community who had lost a ton of stature sacrifices what might be the rest. You don't run if you're an old man in a Jewish culture. You never run. You're in a dress for crying out loud. When you ran, it meant hiking it up Tying it up and running with your skinny legs out to somebody at, at 40, 50, 60, 70 years of age. He's running. And listen, one theologian said there's two reasons why he's running, in my opinion. Reason number one, he can't wait to hold his boy again. Reason number two, he still can't wait to protect his son from those who hate him. Blew my mind. The premise behind that is that people in town when he came back were probably going to try to beat him down, to throw rocks at him, to make fun of him, to tell him to get away. Never welcome back here in Yellowstone. And the father was going to beat all the enemies to his boy. Come on, church. Jesus is going to run so that the enemy has no shot at you. You just have to get up and decide to come home. There's a modern retelling of this story. I don't even know if I'm gonna get through this. There's a modern retelling of the story that I heard as a child. I heard it as a teenager, and I haven't heard it for years. I, I remember telling it in the last two or three years somewhere, and that's what made me think of it. But this this, this kid actually steals from his family and, and goes away, all right? Takes a bus and just goes away. Call it Vegas, call it San Francisco, call it New York, he goes away. They don't hear from him. He blows it all, gets incredibly sick, picks up all kinds of, 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 of diseases from all of the things that he's doing and then from living on the street and then from being with people and then from trying to do things to get money. And he finally writes a letter to his family. He says, I just, just want to come home. I just, want, I just need to come home. And so he... He scrounges enough money to get a bus ticket. But before he gets on the bus, he sends a second letter and he says, I can't, I can't, I can't look you in the eyes. I can't take the fact that that I may or may not be able to stay. So if you would just, if you would just take a, a white napkin, like a tablecloth napkin, and would you just, would you tie it onto the front of the mailbox? so that when the bus goes by, I'll know if I can stay or not. Never heard anything, gets on a bus, drives hours and hours and hours, wondering, waiting, hurting, broken. Tells the bus driver his story. And he says, man, in a little while, we're gonna come up on my house. Would you just would would you just tell me if there's a little napkin there? Would you just let me know? And if there's not, just just keep on going. Don't even stop. Just keep on going. <laughs> About 30 minutes later, the bus driver says, Son, the kid looks up, see catch eyes in the mirror. He says, You're gonna want to come up here. <laughs> and as they came over the hill. <laughs> White bed sheets everywhere. Bed sheets on the chimney, bed sheets on the roof, white napkins hanging from the gutter, white sheets, white clothes, white everything, all over the lawn, everywhere. The father was waiting. He was looking. He was hoping. And he didn't run out to him and say, Idiot! Welcome back. He didn't run out to him and say, I need you to explain yourself to me before you walk onto this property. The Bible says the father threw his arms around him and the son started his speech. The father didn't need the speech. Father didn't need the speech. The father needed the son. Come inside. The way that you look now to everyone around oh, and this is this one rocked me too the way that you look now to everyone around you, not anymore. Take the best robe two weeks ago. What did I tell you that meant? Who has the best robe in the house? The father. Put my robe on. When people come over tonight, when they look at you, they're not going to see you. They're going to see me. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the gospel? That when we come home, when Jesus saves us from our sins, they, they, they no longer see us. For I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live not I, but Christ lives in me. You don't get to heaven. You don't get saved. You don't get loved because you're good or because you're baptized or because God thinks you're great now. You get in because He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus, the Father, who said, come home. far country could be right there just come home you could have squandered and cost everything just come home because the ring says you're a part of the family the robe says you are covered by my blood and the party says you're still worth the best that I have to give do you hear me? You can't do anything not to be worth the best your father has to give. All that I have is yours. There is a good, good father, but the humble. Repentant and broken party. The religious, self righteous, I'm good enough. Pout. Choose. Choose. Come home to a good, good, gracious, loving Father. Let's pray. Everybody knows the song. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are, who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. Loved by you is who I am. Loved by you is who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. It's who you are. God, I pray for those who are 13 and those who are 33 and those who are 63. I pray that we, if we are off in the far country, if we are lost in a battle of our own minds, if we are lost in a battle of a relationship we can't, we can't understand, if we are lost in a battle with a, a disease like cancer or a disease like leukemia, if we are lost in a battle of a disease like anxiety or or depression, if we are lost in a battle of parents to students, if we are lost in a battle of best friends that are no more, God, wherever we are lost and away from you in bitterness, away from you in anger, away from you in financial distress, away from you in hopelessness, away from you in sickness, wherever we are away from you, you are all good things. Bring us, draw us, Open your arms so that we can come home. Open your arms. I promise. I promise. There is a God sitting on a porch looking for you. And he will run to you. My prayer is... That you will get up, that you will get up from the pit of sin that you're in, that you will turn your back on the pigs, on the mess, on the dirt, on the shame of your life, and that you will come home. In Jesus' name, amen.